Today on the Dad the Best I Can podcast. And if we can use what's going on right now, um, the issue of race. Uh, I'm working with a couple of kids right now whose grandparents they vehemently disagree with. And, um, and they've decided, um, the couple of kids I've talked with this week, to breach the boundary and to actually take their grandparents on and talk to them about their own personal feelings about race, in part because to preserve their own integrity, they felt like they had to do that. So I think a lot of us in, in my generation, your generation, might take a cue from that and recognize like if it's a matter of preserving integrity or standing up for something we truly feel is right, then it might be worth breaching boundaries and stepping into some uncomfortable territory. And as awful as these moments in our history are, they do provide opportunity to engage in discussion we would probably avoid otherwise. So um, I think maybe we take advantage of the opening here and have the difficult conversations. And if you find like nobody's budging at all, maybe you step away from them for a while. Welcome to the Dad the Best I Can podcast on BYLR Radio. My name is Rob Roseman, who wants to be a millionaire legend, Chicago futures trader, Vegas poker pro. Now I'm a dad to three kids, ages eight, six, and three. Phew, wears me out just thinking about it. Each week, we bring on high-performing dads like you, entrepreneurs like Jesse Itzler, CEOs like David Cancel, athletes like Ken Rideout, to tell us your stories, your dad tips and tricks, to help all of us make it through dad life. Go check out the brand new Dad the Best I Can book, now on Amazon. I take the best nuggets from interviews with 52 dads like Jesse Itzler and package them together in an easy-to-read book full of dad tips and stories that any dad can relate to. It's the perfect gift for any dad in your life. Grab a copy today on Amazon. I appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen. Okay, enough out of me. On to today's episode. One quick note about today's episode with Dr. John Duffy. We actually recorded this in early June, almost three months ago, and I forgot to release it. And with everything going on today, I thought it was really relevant and important topic to discuss with a professional on how we can talk to our kids and our family about about the racial tensions going on in the world. I hope you learned something from this conversation and take something away that you can use in your life. I know I did. All right. Welcome to the Dad the Best I Can podcast. Today, we are lucky to be joined by Dr. John Duffy again. John is a psychologist in the Chicagoland area. He is the author of the best-selling book, Parenting the New Teen in the Age of Anxiety, something that seems to be more fitting and relevant every single day. And of course, John is a dad. How's it going today, John? Uh, it's going uh, reasonably well, Rob, given the circumstances. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's like we talked about a month ago, and the world was ending from the coronavirus. And well, I'm sure that's probably still going on. It's not something we even really see on the news anymore. So uh, you're staying busy, I'm sure, helping out a lot of people. Yeah, um, I have never uh, been so busy. My colleagues in the area, um, the same, um, just so many stressors, you know, culturally, societally, uh, above and beyond what we're all experiencing personally, yes, and, and keeping busy clinically, unfortunately, 
uh, is not very difficult. Um, it is, I, I, I think 10 years ago, if you and I were talking, I would have said we have way too many therapists and we're flooding the marketplace. Uh, now I'm not sure we have enough. Yeah, well, especially with the teletherapy going on. That's been a big help and hopefully that trend continues. Agreed. Uh, yeah, well, it's interesting, even though I hadn't really thought about the impact of the corona slash quarantine having on all of this tension and uprising we're having. I'm sure that's pouring some gas on the fire where everybody is even more enraged and more frustrated and more confused. So it seems like we're just building a bigger bonfire here. It really does. And I actually agree with you. You know, I, I don't know what this would look like if we hadn't all been cooped up for months and frightened to begin with, you know what I mean? We come into this idling on such a high level of anxiety um, that I think that probably exacerbates what we're, what we're looking at right now in terms of race, race relations, reactions to George Floyd's murder um, and, um, and everything that's happening in the last few days here that seem to be kind of escalating and shifting and changing with every passing hour. Yeah. Well, I want to get to, uh, I really want to talk to you about the conversations and how we can structure them with our kids. I've got young kids, eight, six, and almost three. She is oblivious to all this, of course, but I want to talk to that. But also I did get a question about another topic that I'm hearing a lot about, and I'm personally confused about. Uh, this question came from Allison Hare. She's the host of the Culture Changers podcast. She asked, how do you talk to your family? And I think she's talking about parents and in-laws, that kind of thing, a different generation. How do you talk to your family about triggering topics where nobody is budging? Do you even engage with them or do you completely avoid the topic? How do you set proper boundaries? Uh, th this is so tricky, right? Um, and these are conversations that I think are important to have in families. The cue I tend to take, Rob, comes from my teen and tween age clients. Um, from that and recognize like if it's a matter of preserving integrity or standing up for something we truly feel is right, then it might be worth breaching boundaries and stepping into some uncomfortable territory. And as awful as these moments in our history are, they do provide opportunity to engage in discussion we would probably avoid otherwise. So um, I think maybe we take advantage of the opening here and have the difficult conversations. And if you find like nobody's budging at all, maybe a step away from them for a while, you know? Um, and it's very difficult, I think, from younger to older, uh, because I, I think it's hard to change the minds, first of all, of somebody in, in, a, in an older generation. Um, but I'm always impressed with young people's ability to take on two generations above them. And oftentimes, I do find that, as, like for in my family, for example, I could talk to my mother all day long about certain things and I would not have any impact on what she thinks. My son, when he was six years old, could sway grandma to be a Cubs fan instead of a Sox fan, for example, to mm -hmm. take an innocuous, an innocuous example. But, you know, um, so I think there's some power in the, the younger generation to make some impact here and to breach what we thought were taboo areas in our lives. Mm -hmm. Well, so an example, and I'm glad you brought that up with the having your kids maybe talk to their grandparents, but I imagine a big conversation that's going on is, of course, I, I imagine 99% of 
people are obviously appalled by the George Floyd murder, and they, we can agree with that. What you start to see, though, and I'm sure the media is definitely exacerbating all of this, is the looting, the rioting, and it seems like since we are so polarized, and you watch TV, and it's like, well, I have to pick a side, and obviously I'm against the murder, but uh, they don't like this, the rioting and how they're going about it. How can we cut through that conversation where, you know, you're not going to change somebody's mind, especially, right? And I'm sure cognitive dissonance is digging its heels in more than ever with something like this, where somebody's like, well, if I voted for Trump, I have to support him. I can't, you know, change my mind now. So I think it's, it's confusing. It's frustrating. Like, what do those, what could those conversations look like where you don't end up slamming your phone down and just not wanting to talk to uh, whether it's your parents or grandparents. Right. Um, I, I think you're right, first of all, Rob, about cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias, right? We tend to consume media that cons confirms what the point of view we already espouse, right? So um, our minds are, are reticent to change. We're really reluctant to all of us, you know what I mean? I, we're all to some extent ideologues because to carry a whole bunch of dissenting ideas on one topic all at once just doesn't jive well with our minds. It's very, it's too conflicting. It's too difficult to do. Um, to have those conversations, you know, I think we've gone a generation or so avoiding them because there's uh, this presumptive massive divide uh, within families. Um, but I do think that sometimes it's useful to dip your toe in and see what you get to, to try to have these conversations in even a, um, you know, a, a lot of the discussion right now in these last few days, and I get it, is very, very, very serious. These are serious matters. These are matters of life and death for a lot of people and freedom, right, for a lot of people. But to bring it up within families with a degree of levity or open-mindedness or something other than just, you know, this uh, ideologue nature where it's like, you know, I have my, my opinion and I'm going to change yours. Uh, I think we both know and we're both saying mm, that doesn't work very well. So if we're going to engage family and we don't just want to argue, uh, I think the important thing is to listen. Um, I, I work with some kids, for example, um, who have opinions on politics and race and some other things that I disagree with. I do find it fascinating to spar with them and to talk to them um, in a really dynamic kind of debate kind of style, because I think it's really good for them. It's also good for me and it keeps your mind active. And every once in a while, I hear something that stops me in my tracks and gets me thinking a little bit differently, you know? So uh, I think it's important to engage in these discussions where we see even a crack of an open mind. If you feel like you're gonna get nowhere with somebody, I, I think, um, I think that might be putting yourself in a really difficult position, right? You know, and, and you might want to step away if you feel like, mm, all I'm going to draw here is toxicity and nothing productive is going to come of that. But I also encourage people, especially in their families, not to make those assumptions. I've seen too many times in sessions where people are surprised. People will tell me either my child or my parent will not be, or my spouse will not be open to what I have to say. It's just not going to happen. It's a pipe dream. And then when we finally get into the hour, it turns out mm, that's not necessarily true. And you might have a more open mind on the other side than you thought all of this time. Mm -hmm. 
That's good. So could you even give us like, I'm sure you've kind of coached through a lot of these conversations and heard them. What would, and I think a lot of the problem is we don't know how to even, what are the first, what's the first sentence? How do we open that door? And that goes to also, you know, white and black, you know, even that conversation with my black friend that I want to talk about, but I'm walking on eggshells and I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing, or does this sound corny or am I virtue signaling here? So what, what might be a good way to, I know those are a few different conversations, but that we could say, Hey, I just want to talk to you about this and see where it leads. What might that look like? I find that um, starting from a meta level um, is always useful. This is how I start therapy sessions, Rob, and this is how I encourage people to start discussions in families um, and especially discussions around issues as sensitive and as important as race and race relations and racism. Um, and that would look something like, hey, Rob, um, I want to talk about race today. Um, I'm not sure I have all the answers. I'm not even sure I have a right to talk about it or that I have a leg to stand on. But are you willing to engage in this with me? You know what I mean? Like we, we, given that we might falter, we might say the wrong thing a couple of times to kind of project before we even get started, this is gonna be far from perfect, but let's try it anyway. You know what I mean? These are important waters. We should wade into them, even if it's far from perfect because it matters to both of us. Mm -hmm. And I think being meta about it going in helps. Well, that's something I remember you also talked to about how to talk to your kids about other topics is A, listen and shut up every now and then and B, just be curious. And whether it's, hey, what happened at school today with this? So that's something I've been trying to implement, but it is, you're kind of wired to, you know, use the same questions your parents asked, how was your day? And then they kind of fall apart. So I think dipping your toe in, that is a good, good way to look at it. And, and that we also tend to be, just to throw one other thought in, we tend to be very reactive. Um, I'm working with some parents right now who fear that their kids fall on the long, wrong side of the racism line um, and are insensitive. And, uh, and so we've talked about, like, how do I talk to my kid who is, you know, I think, you know, kind of putting some really offensive things on Snapchat or Instagram or on TikTok uh, about what's appropriate and what, how we are as a family. And I always encourage them, like, we'll start with curiosity. You know what I mean? If they put up something offensive to you, uh, you know your child. You didn't just meet them. Ask them what they're thinking. What drives that? And then you can start to ask things like, you know, well, what if you're on the receiving end of this, what do you, you know, what would you read from somebody who posted this? And then you can start to start a dialogue, you know, and I've seen parents do this really effectively. And I've seen where parents start lecturing and they shut their child down very quickly. And you can see that, you know, we're just wasting an hour's time. So, you know, to the extent that you can approach even something you don't want to hear with a pretty open mind, that's where you can get somewhere. If you're lecturing, I, and I'm sure I've said this to you before, you're not going to get anywhere. You're really not, not with this, not with this generation. Right. And it's making me think now too, even just opening that door and not, we always want the last word or a lot of these conversations start well-intended and start nicely, but then they devolve when it's, well, you don't see things my way. So maybe even just, okay, that sounds good. And walking away, it's like, all right, that was a good 30 seconds. Instead of if we went five minutes, this would have just crapped out entirely. So. Brilliant, Rob. Yes, absolutely. Right. You know, uh, sometimes we think we want, you know, an hour long dialogue on something when 30 seconds 
might be the most useful thing we can do and the, and, and the most impact we can have. All right, next topic that I personally am struggling with, I imagine a ton of people are, is our addictive, we're already addicted to our tech, our social media, and now more than ever, we have these feelings where we need to know what's going on, we need to have these feelings, people are, you know, this guilt or this virtue signaling or wanting to help or enraged by the other side. How can we, in a time where we're just being inundated with stuff, how can we deal with this, stay informed and, and also be a part of the solution, but at the same time, not drive ourselves completely crazy? It's so difficult. Right now, I don't know that we've been tested more in terms of our tech um, addictions than right now in the last few months, right? Because uh, the, the COVID issue seemed to change hour by hour and we wanted to be informed and we wanted to know how it was transmitted and then we wanted to know how many people were affected. And then the minute um, that we started seeing video of uh, different police interactions with, with, uh, with black people, whether they be positive or terribly negative, we're, we get, we're very drawn to that and something new seems to show up every five minutes. So I think at the beginning of our days um, and kind of as we plan our weeks, we need to plan tech vacations at least for a few hours every single day. Otherwise, um, it's a free-for-all. And we will, in every open moment, we will be looking at a phone or an iPad or a computer. And um, we are terrible. I read this great study recently, Rob, that said we are terrible reporters of how much tech we consume in a day by about two thirds. So we're off by about, we, we, we estimate about a third of what we actually consume. Mm -hmm. So we're actually consuming way more than we can even take in. You know what I mean? Hours more information than we can take in and assimilate in a healthy way. So mm -hmm. we need to plan and protect time to be off screen. Mm -hmm. um, I'm lucky enough, I have a job that insists on that for hours and hours a day but most of us don't have that luxury. And so, you know, when I'm home, I have to remind myself, put the thing down and leave it sit for hours, you know, and I usually just plug it in and walk away for at least a couple hours. And that's the only way, you know, because I realize I'm as addicted as anybody else. And I encourage that in my teenage clients and my clients that are my age and my clients that are older and younger, because I don't know a better way. It's, there's just too big of a draw otherwise. Mm -hmm. So you're saying even though, even if a lot of stuff is going on, which again, could be amplified by the media and the social media or your friends, even these group texts that I'm having, they're, they're almost feel indulgent. They're fun, they're healthy, but then all of a sudden it's an hour later. You're saying even if a lot of bad and hard stuff is going on, you still need to say from eight to nine, my phone is in the other room. I will not look at it no matter what. Absolutely. Even if you're, um, you're, you're absolutely uh, motivated to make an impact in a movement, for example, right now, to consume tech constantly uh, probably makes you less effective than if you put it down and take a breather, let your brain have a rest for a few hours a day. Um, this is necessary for our emotional well-being, period. There's just no getting around it. And there is one study after another after another coming out that suggests the same thing. Most of them say about two hours of tech on the long end is, you know, net is the mat most that we should be consuming in order to remain emotionally healthy. And in the midst of the pandemic and being home all the time, most of us have stretched that to five or six. And, you know, and 
the APA is kind of saying, well, for the time being, okay, but we've got to get back to, you know, face-to-face -face interaction and putting these devices down because our emotional wellness does come into play here. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid to even look at, I know iPhones have that screen time report and I almost looked at mine yesterday and I said, this is just going to demoralize me. So I'll just, I'll, <laughs> I'll try to do better tomorrow. Um, last thing I know we were both kind of short on time here, but I want to, I have eight, six and three year olds. What does that, if I do want to start to introduce this conversation of, you know, they're, they're still at the age where, you know, they don't really have these prejudices. They don't really see color besides, oh, that's a kid with uh, brown skin or something. So that's something that obviously as parents, we'd love to preserve. And I'm like, of all the things I can do that I feel helpless about, the one thing I can do is steer them and help mold that generation uh, into a good way of thinking. What what are some ideas that you have to start those conversations with young kids and then maybe again with teenagers? Uh, a, co a couple of different things. Um, one is, uh, I don't know if you saw that CNN and Sesame Street are putting together a town hall uh, this weekend. For those of us who are, who are listening now, um, this coming Saturday, there'll be, there'll be that available for even kids as young as your three-year-old. Um, I think it is a great time to introduce, uh, anytime is a great time to introduce these ideas about race and racism. Um, with your three-year-old, I think you just start talking about differences and there is, there is a library of books and people are posting them left and right. And I'll make sure I post them on my social media so uh, your listeners can get a look at some of the books for very young kids and then for kids about as old as your six and eight-year-old that kind of highlight um, in very simple ways without without um, kind of terrorizing the kids with these with ideas of, of you know the the terrible notions of racism but just a little bit on the history of you know race and racism in America um, or with your youngest kids um, sometimes they'll just use animals and the difference between different species of animals you know and how they can still kind of get along and what the differences are and why the differences are important um, really kind of cool ways to understand and embrace differences. Uh, with your six and eight year old, they may know something about what's going on right now. So with kids that age, my inclination is, and I'll be talking to a couple of kids in the eight range later today, I'll ask them, you know, so what have you heard and what do you think? And if it were up to you, if I made you president of the United States tomorrow, what would you do? What would you do to fix it? And kids come up with really clever ideas and you're right. We're getting them before strong biases and prejudices set in. And that's a great time to talk to kids. Um, teenagers are easy to engage as long as you are not lecturing to them. This is really important. Um, and this, this I know for certain teens and tweens want to talk and they like to share their thoughts and their opinions in an open forum. So the challenge for parents is to parent differently than you were likely parented because a lot of us had, you know, the, the word was handed down to us from our parents and that's how my parents uh, operated. Uh, but I find that today, kids do not respond to the lecture. They are not afraid of what happens when dad gets home. But if you talk to them openly and you engage them in a discussion at the dinner table, and that might be 30 seconds and that might be half an hour in the car, whatever you get, take and uh, elicit from them what they have to say. And if they ask what you think, share a little bit about what you think, you know, um, and be 
really open with your kids about, you know, uh, even if you're confused during this time or you're scared a little bit, I think it's okay to share that with your older kids. I think you want your younger kids to feel safe and to feel comfortable. But with your older kids, they already have some fear and, um, and they have a feel for what's going on here. So you don't, you don't want to disrespect their uh, level of development, maturity, or intelligence. That's helpful. What does, in the example of, you know, and I asked my kids, do you know what's going on out of curiosity? And of course, my six-year-old and his imagination was, uh, people are throwing knives at the police because they're mad about Corona. So I was like, all right, I sit and listen. I'm like, I'm glad you have an imagination and it's entertaining, but uh, how do you, I know there's, it's tough. How do you explain what happened without scaring them, without triggering, without, you know, I'm walking, I'm like, you know, I don't even really know how to explain this. Is, can you give us an example of how you might start that conversation with a, say, eight-year-old? Yeah, um, I, I think you bring it up like, you know, uh, for, first of all, if, you're, if your kids have friends who are African-American, or if you do, you can talk about uh, a comparison. My son has a couple of good friends who are African-American, and we talk about the differences between his, lives, his life and theirs. But you can also talk in the abstract and say, you know, like, well, there are some kids your age who um, don't have all the advantages we do, you know, and, uh, and explain a little bit about the, the background of that. In, in very basic terms. Um, and sometimes they're nervous, you know, just like you are now, they're nervous almost every day about what's, what could happen in their lives. And we're lucky because we don't have to worry about that. But a part of our job is to help them not to worry about that too. So to present it almost like a mandate, like there's something we can do about that because young kids love that idea of mobilizing and making some difference. But uh, to present the difference initially, is important and maybe to acknowledge and have some fun with that thought like you know wow so that's that's what you feel like is going on the the, the police are shooting because of the coronavirus let's talk about what i think is what i think is going on mm -hmm. um and you can be playful with your young kids about this too you know yeah. this doesn't I, I think if you bring um a, a grave seriousness to them um when that's not your normal tone that becomes scary to them well i think what what i kind of stumbled on a little was talking about why it happened why people are angry and that the police and then i'm all of a sudden are all police bad and they're like why aren't and i was you know kind of in over my head with what do i say to them what what would you talk to them about just even like this is a one bad person or the police are good they're trying to protect you but it's, it's very right. confusing it is confusing um and like you were saying earlier i think you take this in little bites um, and I think you take out the idea that any group of people is all good or all bad, you know, um, and, 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 and extract that and talk about how most of us are pretty are, are safe and most of us are OK. But there's a few people um, who uh, sometimes inflict harm on others and some people who get harmed. And what we're looking to do is to make sure that everybody gets to feel as safe as we do. You know, and I think if you leave it at that kind of nice and simple for younger kids, that's probably the message you want to leave out there. Yes. Don't over talk it. I think that's another good. Don't lesson. over talk it. Right. Yes. Let them have the last word and move on. For sure. All right, John, I appreciate being on dad, the best I can podcast. Where can people follow you and find out what you're doing? All at uh, drjohnduffy.com. All right. I appreciate you hopping on. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You do the same. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening to the Dad the Best I Can podcast on BYLR Radio. 
If you enjoyed it, please share it with a dad friend and go check out the new Dad the Best I Can book available on Amazon. I take the top highlights from 52 guests on the Dad the Best I Can podcast like Jesse Itzler, David Cancel, and put them all into a nice little book. Makes a great gift for dad. Go check it out on Amazon. I appreciate each and every one of you listening and talking dad life with me. I'll see you on the next episode of the Dad the Best I Can podcast on BYLR Radio.